Please note this chapter is written from Felicity's point of view. Do not be alarmed by this. It is a literary device designed to keep you engaged. You're welcome. TNT Audio Publishing presents The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles by T.L. Dawnstar. Written and read by T.L. Dawnstar. Book 1.0 The Universe Code. Chapter 8 For Chow. Legend has it, in the misty early eons of the universe, when the endless void spiraled with underdeveloped galaxies, spirals, and nebulas, that a huge section of space around the back fell out. This region has been known by countless names by myriad interstellar cultures. The Mim called it the blackness beyond the heart of darkness. In the Tolivian Book of Dreaming, it is referred to as Nanga'athara, which roughly translates as the void within the void. And the ever-poetically-challenged Fergal Consortium called it the weird bit. In the common tongue, it is known simply as the Vellum Cluster. In ancient times, it was customary for two warring factions to meet in neutral space at an appointed time to settle their dispute once and for all. Located in the far reaches of the galaxy, beyond the borders of any interfering ruling body or bureaucratic economic union, the cluster has been the site of countless colossal clashes between celestial superpowers for thousands of years, sort of like a galactic pub car park. The area is littered with the remains of alien battleships, ancient weapons technology, and the forgotten knowledge held within the archives of the aforementioned remains of alien battleships. This cornucopia of space booty made the unstable area of space extremely popular with rogue archaeologists, ne'er-do-well treasure hunters, and dashing space pirates like Carl Darkcruiser and Dank Starhole. Last cat caught your tongue, huh? Snapped Felicity. She watched as Dark Cruiser's eyes came back from whatever faraway budget hotel they'd booked a weekend away in and looked her dead in her own eyes. I know it, he said solemnly, all too well. She sensed he didn't really want to talk about it, but continued to ask him questions for the remaining four and a half hours of their lengthy journey back to town anyway. Carl maintained a stoic wall of silence for much of the trudge only occasionally interrupted by bouts of uncontrollable but still manly sobbing, and occasionally falling to his knees and unleashing a howling pain-infused scream of DANK! The keen journalistic instincts that had earned Phobos her multiple awards, including the coveted Stone Trout for undeniable competence, told her that the cluster held some personal importance for Carl. Could it be where Dark Cruiser and Starhole had shared their infamously steamy clench? Footnote, if you've been paying attention, you should realize that this question is rhetorical. If that was true, footnote, once again it is, I've mentioned it loads of times. Could it be mere coincidence that Dank's killer would have fled to a place so filled to the brim with hot and sexy memories for her victim? Or was it more likely that the space-time anomaly and communications blackout that surrounded it offered the perfect hiding spot. Could it be a bit of both? She had so many questions for her newly acquired sidekick, 
but with him only communicating through the kind of melodramatic claptrap that wouldn't look out of place on a vidnet soap opera, she had a feeling she wouldn't be getting the answers anytime soon. By the time the pair reached the outskirts of the central area, they were both sweating like a couple of space hogs in a poorly ventilated laundrette. Phil clambered up a small rise in the landscape and stood with one knee on a rock atop a medium-height cliff. She looked over to see that the frankly feeble disguise that Dark Cruiser had employed had completely detached itself from his dripping face. So much for keeping this fool on the dyno, she thought. In the distance, she could just make out the blinking lights and humongous reflector dish of the -the state-of-the-art hangar bay facility. Shielding her eyes from the constant bright brightness above her, Felicity squinted and tried to make out the shape of the bulky Class 17B freighter she'd stowed away on to get to the pits. Through the heat haze rising from the glaring plasteel launch pad came the brilliant blue-green glow of a set of Type 83 anti-grav repulsor jets as the freighter lumbered its way towards escape velocity. Son of a Sasquatch, there goes my ride out of here, Phil exclaimed. You hit your ship in that there hangar bay, flyboy? She asked Carl breathlessly. Sure did. Fastest ship in the galaxy. Better had be. Mind if I hitch a ride? Oh, what am I saying? Of course you don't. Without another word, she hopped down from the small cliff and power walked off in the direction of the port, Carl trailing behind her. Approximately 47.5 standard star mins later, Phil and Carl were standing in front of the large laser-link fence that surrounded the pit's main spaceport. The flickering red light from the deadly beams pervaded the air around them, perfectly complementing and enhancing Felicity's red hair, giving her a fiery effervescence that brought to mind images of the flame goddess Foctus from Velkian mythology. This didn't go unnoticed by her, and she craned her neck to admire her flowing locks. They approached a small hut, half a kilometre along the edge of the fence, and witnessed a shiny cylindrical droid bot appear from within the glass window. It ordered in a shrill electronic voice. She doesn't have a number, only a name. Carl replied smugly. You didn't say ship. Docking number, you said ship number. Look, I, I don't have it. I, I... Felicity watched Carl become increasingly more intense shades of purple as he argued with the mechanical attendant for another ten and a bit star mins. She was about to reach for her hated sonic blaster and quickly dispatched the droid bot when she saw Carl whip out his phase blaster and puncture several holes in the glass panel. He reached inside and ripped the literal and figurative tin plate bureaucrat free from its casing and held the sparking faceless machine close to his face and said, I've got your number, pal. With a surprising amount of elegance, the space pirate executed a magnificent overarm throw and catapulted the robot into the laser fence it was so keen to protect, slicing it into hundreds of wafer-thin glowing hot pieces. Using the power of his cyber toes, Carl leapt like an aging panther through the now shattered glass, cutting himself quite badly in the process, but seeming not to notice because he had turned full red with anger by this point. He'd also carved a neat slash through one of his many, many pockets. Inside it, Felicity could just make out a small yellowish piece of synth paper. Carl frantically looked around the small booth and started jabbing at buttons with the ignorant confidence of a pissed and sunburnt Brit returning from a disappointing family holiday who incorrectly believes he's been cheated on a two-for-one deal in an overpriced airport fast-food establishment. After an incredibly frustrating button-poking session, 
he appeared to find the button that deactivated a section of the laser fence. Carl looked up towards Phil, unbearably satisfied with himself. Nice work, Dark Cruiser. You beat me to it, but you should have said your number's up. She called in response. Also check your back left pocket. Still kicking himself for the missed pun opportunity, the second one today, Carl reached his big arm around his ever-expanding waistline, slipped his delicate finger inside, and produced a yellow synth paper chit. Printed on it in a pleasingly futuristic font was Starhole underscore Type 65 Verge Core Cruise Fighter underscore Docking Number underscore 452K193X underscore Bay94. Now to be fair, that thing asked for a number. This also has letters in it, he said gruffly. Sure thing, Captain Pedantic. Let's split. And with that, the two of them strolled through the disabled laser fence and into the spaceport proper. Extremely conveniently, Bay 94 was only a few meters away and they were able to enter it with ease. A shocking lack of security allowed Carl to walk right up to Starhole and activate the inconsistent door opening panel. Suddenly, a phase blaster bolt bounced off the ship's titanoid alloy hull, just centimeters above Felicity's head, and ricocheted around the large space, striking a hover pallet of red metal barrels which, to her surprise and disappointment, did not explode. Phobos turned on her sensibly attired heel to see Chief Tobias Willoughby and six jack-booted enforcers, their synth-silk half-capes flapping in the breeze created by dozens of ships taking off around them. Phil shot a look at Carl, and he shot one right back at her. They simultaneously ran up the non-slip boarding ramp towards the entrance hatch. Carl was the first to reach the interior of the cruise fighter and immediately hit the panel that controlled the ramp retraction mechanism. Looks like the tension's really ramping up, Felicity heard as she narrowly avoided smashing her head on the top of the hatch. She needn't have worried if she did, of course, because James Tizar had made sure any low ceilings or bulkheads on the ship had been rimmed with advanced Luakish rubber technology, allowing even the most severe head-banging victim to remain unscathed. She shouted at Carl in response to his totally solid pun. I'm happy for the kid. He finally got a good one in today. Thought the ex-member of the Cult of the Cone with genuine satisfaction as lethal phase bolts flew around her. The hatch closed at a speed that was compliant with Galactic Safety Protocol 294B and Phobos rolled safely inside Starhole. She looked up to see Dark Cruiser already sprinting down the gleaming corridor towards what she could only assume was the cockpit. She giggled briefly at the word cockpit, and then swiftly followed him. Computer! He screamed as they entered the bridge. Hey, up, Doc. What can I do for that? The offensive and inaccurately voiced AI countered. Engage pulse systems and fire up the drive shaft. We need to get the hells out of here on the double, and activate external audio monitoring. I want to hear what those bastards are up to. Right, Charlie Cocker. Strap in, Faye. It's gonna be a bumpy ride. Aye, aye, Captain. Phobos replied with a sarcastic salute. She quickly sat down in the synth leather seat next to Carl's and tightly fastened the advanced safety harness. The low, rumbling sound of the ship's pulse system cycling up became increasingly deafening as the oscillating crystals that powered the powerful engines oscillated powerfully. Felicity began to feel the familiar but not entirely unpleasant falling feeling in the guts of her stomach that preceded a high-speed takeoff. As the G-forces mounted, she heard the voice of her old adversary, Willoughby, over the tinny cockpit speakers. They're preparing for takeoff. Inform Planetary Defense Center immediately and get pursuit unit Starborn now! 
Looks like this getaway just became a space race. She said to Carl through a toothy grin. And let's start our engines. She watched as the pirate completed the final button flicks and joystick fondles required for takeoff, and the sleek star vessel roared into a plasma thruster-powered vertical takeoff, clearing the hangar bay and soaring high into the asteroid's artificial atmosphere within mere seconds. With a scream from the X-9 exhaust port enhancers, the Type 65 cruise fighter performed an impeccable 90-degree rotation, orientating her sharp metal bow straight up towards space. Inside the cockpit, Phobos felt her hair being blown back and her pale face skin rippling thanks to the gathering speed. She struggled to turn her head against the force and saw Dark Cruiser preparing to crank the serious-looking lever that would, in a matter of nanoseconds, energize the main drive shaft. You ready, Farah? This burst will fry our remaining fuel reserves, but should get us clean out of orbit and halfway across the damn systems in one fell swoop. And it comes with a hell of a kickback. She was getting pretty tired of him calling her the wrong name. It was undeniably funny at first, and she'd let it slide. But even she had to admit, it was wearing pretty thin. She decided to allow it to continue for now, if only to see how many F or PH names he'd cycled through before he eventually landed on the right one. Carl's big arm and significantly smaller hand lurched the lever forward. There was a deep clunking sound from deep within the ship's inner workings, followed by a tremendous screech of pure plasma energy being unleashed. But that sound was cut off by a louder and more dangerous sounding sound. Starholes spasmed furiously, sparks flying from the multiple command consoles that cluttered the cramped cockpit. Well, that was anticlimactic. You always let a girl down like that, flyboy? Joked Felicity, to mask the severe panic burrowing itself deep into the lower levels of her gut. Glancing out of the main viewport, she could just make out the distinct avian outline of a C-46Y orbital bird cannon so named for its beak-like bore and winged muzzle mouldings. There was a faint green afterglow hanging in space around the recently discharged weapon. Shit! She and Carl said simultaneously. Carl glanced across the panels in front of him, all of which were either flashing a violent shade of flame red or actually on fire. The readouts were far from ideal. In fact, they were bad. Alarms rang throughout the entire ship, and it was clear that Starhole was severely ruptured and leaking fuel like mad. They were almost free of the pit's bubbled microclimate, but with the now-damaged pulse systems and knackered autonav, their chances of a clean break were plummeting with every breath. To make matters worse, the aft sensors had picked up several squadrons of unmanned Vex microfighters on their tail. In optimal combat conditions, the blast capacity of a Vex-class drone would be no match for the patented Verge-core proton rear shield matrix with which Starhole was equipped, but the PKD transponder's primary and auxiliary fuel capacitors had been compromised in the cannon's previous blast, rendering the main deflection monitor offline and creating a critical power buildup in the dark matter semiconductor, which in turn burned off any remaining cooling fluid passing through the thermal management systems, resulting in an energy cascade in the gunwale magnawave coupling. Footnote. In layman's terms, the shield was shot to shit, so all bets were off. Another hit from that peaky bastard up there, and it's a one-stop shop to Smithereen City. Population us. That's a C-46Y, which means we have at least 40 seconds until it's fully recharged and ready to fire again. We just need to hold on a little longer to reach escape velocity. 
It was Carl Darkcruiser who said that last bit, and he was not wrong. Burning the rapidly diminishing fuel supply, the reckless space pirate plowed straight up into the path of the cannon. What the hells are you doing? You're heading right for it! Phil cried. Exactly, Carl said. You are a f***ing The ship computer added. Darkcruiser ignored his shipmates, both organic and digital, and maintained a collision course with the top-of-the-line space ordnance. The cannon appeared to be speeding towards them as they sped towards it. At this range, Phobos was able to make out the quickly filling recharge indicator on the massive space gun's barrel. It was edging dangerously close to full power. The microfighters had closed the gap and were now within firing range. With clockwork precision, they peppered Starhall's back end with the low-caliber but relentless hammering of energy weapons discharge. Felicity turned to Carl and said, I hope you know what you're doing, space pirate. Me too, Phil. Me too. His eyes darted between the sensors on the damaged consoles in front of him and out through the main viewport ahead as a sickly green light began to glow inside the bird cannon's shaft. It was ready to fire. Felicity Phobos closed her eyes tight, certain in the knowledge that this was the end. The end. It was not, and the gut-wrenching inertia forced her to open her eyes. She saw Carl yanking hard on his joystick, forcing Starhole into an airshow-quality maneuver that spanned the vessel free of the bird cannon's firing path and safely to the left. To her surprise, she saw the now upside-down orbital laser shooter unleash its powerful load directly into the pursuing microfighters, which were instantaneously vaporized in a series of appropriately small explosions. A fraction of a nanosecond later, she witnessed the bird cannon ripped in half by the bright beam of a red-hot green laser beam. Before she had time to begin to comprehend what had happened, the ship was righted and was barreling at full speed in the direction of the second blast. Weapons hot, Carl announced matter-of-factly, and flipped the switch inconveniently located on the ceiling behind his seat. With a deafening and onomatopoeic frizzack, the full force of the sentimentally monikered star vessel's particle blasters were spectacularly unloaded on the recharging satellite weapon. Carl flew the long, knife-like ship through the very center of the fireball. Her elongated and gleaming hull reflected the flames in the shiny alloy, making her look really, really cool as she limped away at less than half of her top speed and deeper into the relative safety of open space. Explain. Now. Ordered a fairly flustered Felicity Phobos. Just a little trick I picked up running bootleg milkrock t-shirts in the Mantell system. I call it the Dark Cruiser Double Cross. See those C-46Ys back there are equipped with last-gen targeting systems, which means the onboard AI needs to lock in target information before firing. Also, thanks to the lack of projective movement algorithm generation model, it has to retarget after each blast. I knew it would take about 36.7 seconds to lock onto us, and 40 seconds to charge, leaving a 3.3 second window where our previous location was locked in before the blast. You with me so far? Of course. The processing units in those Vex microfighters are severely outdated. All they can do is follow their selected target in a straight line. 
All I did was position the ship directly between the cannon and the fighters before barrel rolling into a second position between the first and second cannons, and using those 3.3 seconds, I whipped out of the way sharpish and blammo. There was another bird cannon? Well, I didn't know for sure, but I had a hunch that the antiquated AI would force the manufacturers to offer incentives to customers to purchase their substandard product over the more advanced models on the market. Incentives like a buy one get one free offer, for example. And if the budgetary manager of the Pitt's planetary security is as tight-fisted as all the disgruntled employees on the net say, I knew she wouldn't be able to resist a promotional deal that could save the governor hundreds, if not thousands, of cubits. Makes sense. I just have many, many follow-up questions. Well, we've got no time for answers. We're leaking fuel faster than a punctured avian suckle frog, and with the engines shut to shit, we're not going to make it a single light year towards the Vellum Cluster. As much as she, Felicity Phobos, hated to admit it, Dark Cruiser was right. Their intended destination of the Vellum Cluster was more than halfway across known space, and about a quarter of the way through unknown space, though the exact distance of the latter portion was, by definition, unknown. Carl leaned over towards her, reaching his long, big arm over her shoulder and moving his stubbled face significantly closer to her own non-stubbled face. The closeness could be generously described as a little uncomfortable for both of them. For one horrible moment, she thought he was making a move on her, and she readied her powerful hand in the famous three-fingered claw technique that she had mastered under the instruction of Olive Cabinet. Footnote. The Araxian three-fingered claw strike is one of the deadliest moves in the ancient martial arts of Kekish Jiu-Jitsu, and an expertly executed blow is rumored to have the power to pulverize even the hardiest of testicles in a matter of nanoseconds. She felt a dull thud in the back of her chair, accompanied by the soft hum of the ship's systems powering down into complete silence. It was at this moment that she realized the space pirate had merely moved over to activate the ship's kill switch, which was bizarrely located on the back of the portside co-pilot flight seat. I need to get out onto the hall with a las wielder and get those fuel pods patched. I'm on intercom if you need me, and settle in. It's gonna be a long night. He got up to leave, and headed aft towards the retractable plastic ladder that granted access to the turbo lift, which in turn provided access to the D-deck airlock, which in turn provided access to space. And for the second time in as many solar months, Felicity found herself alone in the cockpit of a notorious outlaw she barely knew if the graffiti on the bathroom wall of Spaceport 8 is to be believed. After surveying her surroundings to ensure that she was indeed completely alone, she bent down and placed three fingers on the side of her left sequined shoe. With an undeniable enthusiasm that was at odds with her poor technical execution, she tapped out the opening bars of her favourite song, Girl, Your Face Is Important, by manufactured boy band Boy Garden. Literally, they are clones with genetically enhanced teeth and arses. The arrhythmic drumming was somehow enough to trigger the hidden compartment in her synth tweed jacket to unfurl, revealing several small electronic devices. Phobos removed a miniaturized communicator, and using a single finger to operate the touchscreen display, she typed, Proceeding according to plan, have made contact with KD, ship in need of repair but en route to BC. Update soon. Hugs and kisses, Felicity Phobos XOXO. She flipped the scratch-proof and shatter-resistant plasglass protective covering over the exposed screen and slipped it back into her private area. In her jacket. Honestly, what's wrong with you people? There was a crackle as the intercom stumbled into life. Phobos, can you read? 
It was the title character, Carl Darkcruiser, who had already made his way out into the void. Of course I can read you, blunder-headed coconut merchant. I'm a journalist, remember? I mean, can you read me? Oh, like a trashy dime store detective yarn, honey. What's the damage? She's just floating out here like a tin can. But I think I can fill most of her holes. Don't. I heard it as I said it. Genuinely upset and annoyed at the missed opportunity for some bawdy repartee, Felicity quickly changed the subject. Hey, since I have the infamous Carl Dark Cruiser bobbing around out there like an unwelcome negish mug pickle in a punch bowl, mind if I ask you a question or ten? <sighs> Fine. But you may not like the answers, sweetheart. My past ain't exactly the sweetest smelling bunch of Pluto lilies in the basket. Back when those bird cannons nearly mushed us into zero-G spaghetti sauce, you called me Phil, didn't you? Yeah, I'm sorry about that, Frank. Well, while we're on the subject, what in the hell's kind of name is Dark Cruiser anyway? Cruiser. That is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. I had no memory of who I was, where I came from, or what had happened on that cruiser. Guess they had to call me something. So why Carl? The woman who took me in was the deputy chairperson of the famous Opera Academy on Brazil. Her name was Silky Carlo, but uh, everybody just called her Mama Silk. She told me that she always wanted a son named Carl, but because of loads of reasons I didn't really care about, she never had one. How old were you when she found you? Four cycles. Huh. Yeah. Through the main viewport, Felicity could see Carl drift into view, clad in a Hephaestus G-19 EVA spacesuit, which was tethered to the ship by an umbilical hose forged from a Disnarkian spider silk compound, virtually unbreakable. The high visibility strips of the spacesuit reflected the sparking laswielder as he worked to seal the ruptured fuel pods. Hardy opera boy, she said and waved through the vacuum-sealed reinforced plasma glass. Carl didn't respond, but through the illuminated helmet, Phil could see a wistful, almost nostalgic look spread across his face as he fired the repulsor jets on the bottom of his boots and propelled himself towards the next damaged area. She wanted to know more, of course. She hadn't got to where she was today by backing off when she had her subject on the ropes, quite literally in this particular case. But she sensed that Dark Cruiser was a tough cookie to crack. But crack him she would, and she was certain that inside there would be a gooey chocolate heart. And like any cookie, tough or otherwise, too much force applied too quickly could cause irrevocable damage to the structural integrity, resulting in the crumbs of hurt feelings and psychological torment being splayed all over the kitchen counter of a burgeoning friendship. Perhaps if she opened up about her own past. But no. He wasn't ready to know the truth just yet. They were both silent for a while. There was a feeling of utter peace and contentment that only deep space and the tranquil quiet of a powered-down ship could offer. It was a peace that was usually only found in the heavenly post-coital sleepiness when wrapped gently in the arms of a lover or after a particularly satisfying shit. Starhole, Carl, and Felicity all drifted in Starhole and Carl's case, through space, in Felicity's, to sleep. She dreamt of young Carl, all alone, on that empty and cavernous ship.
came the overcompensatingly gruff and manly voice through the intercom. Felicity awoke with a start. On the cult homeworld, she'd trained to sleep with one eye open, not literally, that would be mental, but light enough that she could be ready for training or prayer at a moment's notice if an elder decided that a midnight ritual was in order. She'd been away from that life for so long that she'd learned to sleep with both eyes closed like a normal person and was jolted awake uncomfortably by the screaming space pirate. Felicity half-formed. External airlock's jammed. I need you to activate it from the cockpit. It's the yellow button behind the cup holder. You have designed this ship as a few sides short of a dodecahedron, if you know what I mean. She snapped back, now fully awake and as frustratingly witty and acerbic as ever. Behind the half-drunk cup of Mugta, the spring-loaded button, which up until now had played no part in the ongoing thrilling sequence of events, found itself thrust into the limelight as the pointed finger of Felicity Phobos pressed it deep into its metal housing. For one glorious second it felt, if buttons can feel, totally at home and fulfilled, before the reset mechanism kicked in and returned it to its raised position, cruelly dashing any hopes of further narrative involvement. Come on in, the recycled air is just fine. Felicity riffed as the airlock slid open. It wasn't her best work, but it did the job as a throwaway comment, and at least it was clean, and she considered that a personal victory. A few starmins later, Carl rejoined her on the bridge. Well, that ought to do it, but she's running on fumes. This baby's a thirsty girl. That's an unhealthy way to think about it. We must have been drifting for hours. Where the hells are we? She poked the navigational console underneath the synthsig lighter with one long, fumbling finger, and the screen, which was positioned in the starboard side footwell, chirped into life with a pleasant boot-up sound. The Nartex system widely considered by the Celestial Cartographers' Alliance as the official center point of the galactic arse end of nowhere. Using the little remaining power that the damaged systems could muster, she performed a preliminary pulse scan of their spacey surroundings. It was approximately 4.96.02 seconds before their computer registered a hit and bounced back a signal from a nearby unidentified freight hauler. Upon closer inspection via the long-range visual holo projector, she recognized the distinctive red claw, yellow screwdriver, and purple cavil fruit insignia of the Calaxian Dominion. Her immediate reaction was to let loose with a string of expletives so extensive and hair-curling that it could kill up to six nuns stone dead. She repressed this urge as she'd been trying to keep her new cycle resolution to use fewer non-homicide-level curse words. She took a couple of seconds to mentally run through the next sentence she was about to say and cleaned it up a bit. That's a flippin' Carlaxian ship. What do you think those cyber-reptilian barstools are up to this time? Whatever they're after must be pretty gosh-darn important to risk breaking the 2002 treaty signed after the Great Fruit Wars. She said out loud, explaining history which they were both eminently aware of. Don't care, and don't care to find out either. They haven't seen us yet, and let's try to keep it that way. Don't fancy our chances going toe-to-toe with that big bastard snapped Carl as he cycled up the compromised engines. It would be an act of war if Starquark caught wind of this level of intrusion into council control space. Those lizard fellows would never risk it. Something here sticks fishier than an unattended Atlantean cookout. As the ship she was on began to listlessly crawl away from the freighter, Phil heard the unmistakable three-note chime of an incoming long-range hailing frequency. Well, so much for that plan. Looks like they're in a chatty mood. Well, I ain't. You forgetting about the bounty on my head? 
Could be those guys are looking to break into the up-and-coming killing Carl dog cruiser industry. Not everything's about you, sweetie. If they'd wanted to, they'd have blown us clean out of the stars by now. That may look like an arm freighter, but I'm willing to bet my left arm, which is my favourite one, by the way, that they're packing some serious heat, and then they are more than capable of decimating this old hunk of junk. Carl looked genuinely crushed to hear his beloved ship spoken of in such unflattering terms. While he was sulking, Phil tapped the illuminated panel to receive the communication. Receiving, in turn, a razor-sharp glance from Dark Cruiser's steely eyes that could have cut through solid perma-diamond plate shielding. She dropped her voice several octaves and answered in a bizarre yet powerfully arousing telephone voice. You've reached the office of Colonel J.J. Sexby, Senior Administrative Financial Officer for Astro Parks and Sanitation Department. How may I direct your inquiry? Ship designated Starhole. Began a hissing reptilian voice. I am Acting Assistant General Cayman Skullstein of the 4th Armored Calaxian Navy and Intergalactic Fruit Wholesale Consortium. Unidentified vessel, this is Starhole. We don't want any trouble with the Dominion. Frankly, I always thought you guys were right about the ridiculous import tariffs on Lucas Cavill fruit shipments during the war. Felicity fawned faintly. Your flattery is noted and appreciated. Intern Ricky, make an entry into the log. On behalf of his executiveness, allow me to offer the warmest and wettest of greetings. Gross. But thanks. Carl butted in, eager to regain some semblance of control of the exchange. I want to check your navigational systems there, though, partner. You're in council country now. I know snitch, and I don't know the council a damn thing, and I'm pretty sure your chief isn't looking to start a war. So how about this, lizard brain? We didn't see you, you didn't see us. We both go about our perfectly innocent business and pretend this whole thing never happened. One, that is a harmful slur, and I will ask you kindly not to use it again. The Dominion officer replied. And two, he continued. You don't remember me, do you, Agent Dark Cruiser? The Carl Dark Cruiser Saga Chronicles is a production of Dawnstar Audio. Written and read by T.L. Dawnstar. Carl Dark Cruiser was played by T.L. Dawnstar and Felicity Phobos was played by Theodora C. Sinclair. Get in touch via electronic mail using the address tldawnstar at gmail.com or via Twitter at tl underscore dawnstar. Next.